Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. A Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. This week's guests are Adam Scott and Party Down co-creator and showrunner, John Enbaum. Quickly, before we get into it, I wanted to let you know we're doing a live Good One at Union Hall in Brooklyn on March 17th. Guests will include Phoebe Robinson, Marsha Belsky, Francesca Uva, and Straighty Lab hosts George Severus and Sam Taggart. Each guest will be performing a joke live, followed by a conversation about whatever joke they perform. Uh, it's going to be so much dang fun. So go to unihallny.com for tickets. Uh, so this episode you're about to listen to is going to be a little bit different than our typical one guest talks about one joke they wrote format. Uh, I've long wanted to do an episode where I talked with an actor about their process creating comedy, and this felt like a great way in. So instead of talking about one joke, we'll be talking about one character, specifically Henry from the TV show Party Down, which on February 24th returns for a third season on Stars after 13 years off the air. 13 years. So many years. Henry, played by Adam Scott, it, he isn't the funniest or weirdest character on the show by far, but he is essential in maintaining the show's specific grounded tone, regardless of how ridiculous everyone else is being. So how this episode's going to work is we're going to look closely at six scenes from throughout the run that exhibit the evolution of the character and Adam's approach in thinking as an actor, as well as John's approach of creating an arc for this person. I found it all fascinating and, and super fun. So we're going to start with the first episode of the first season, a scene where Adam Scott's Henry and Lizzie Kaplan's Casey first meet each other. So here is Adam Scott and John Enbaum. So uh, I am here with Adam Scott and John Enbaum. Thank you for joining me. It is our pleasure. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, so uh, the first scene I want us to talk about is from the pilot, which is the first scene where Casey and Henry talk to each other. And she recognizes him. And she's the first time we also, he admits where uh, he's recognized from. What am I going to do in Burlington? Stand-up comedy traffic school? Look, I have to go, okay? Because you know that I can't talk to you at work. Mike, Mike, no. Do not come here. Damn it. So I know that I don't know you at all, but could you maybe help me out with something? Boyfriend trouble? Husband trouble. It's just, it's like a bunch of stupid drama that you really, you don't want to know about. But he might come here and I just can't have him causing this big, huge scene because like Ron's totally on my ass. So if you see like a, like a pissed off 30-ish guy with brown hair. I will give a heads up. It'll give me a sense of purpose, which I could use. Great. I appreciate it. New guy. I totally forgot your name. It's funny because uh, people usually remember it. Why is that? It's Scrotum Phillips. Ha. Ah. Henry. Right. And you're not even the new guy because you, you worked with Ron. 
Eight years ago, yes. Thank you for reminding me. Wow. So do you act? Why well, look familiar? You do. Mm -hmm. And you smoke parliaments. Mm. I dabbled. Are you uh... a professional waiter? I'm not. Um. No, no. I'm a comedian. No. Yeah, I figured that my natural hilariousness would have tipped you off right. by now. Right. Wait a minute. Were you the were you that guy? Yes, I was. You were! You were totally that guy. That is bananas. I remember that. Yeah. I remember you. Yeah. What, what are you doing working here? Well, you remember me from anything else? There's something about this scene that I really love because it doesn't feel like a pilot scene. It feels like this character has already had like a full other TV show that we missed. And now he's like fully lived into the second thing. Like it really is just so lived in. So I want to start with you, John. You know, this show was developed for years, both sort of officially and unofficially before you got to the point of making the aired pilot. And when we spoke at the reunion, you talked about how you were sort of steeping in these characters. Can you describe what that looked like for Henry? How, like what you learned about him by the time you were at that sort of final filming the pilot stage? Um, when we had originally had the idea for the show and the idea for, you know, kind of this particular feeling of somebody in a particular situation, um, one of the first things we sort of thought of was these People that you would see on TV, whether it was in ads or, you know, on screen in one form or another who you recognized, but clearly, you know, not, not for the thing that they clearly wanted to be recognized for, you know, whether it's for, you know, the can you hear me now guy or something of, you know, things like that where, you know, you, you can get sort of a form of success in the sense that you're making money doing, you know, what you uh, want to be doing, but not kind of in the way you want to be doing it. And then that kind of led us down this road of the idea of this guy who had simply just kind of made a wrong turn and ended up kind of in a place of stasis where his career kind of ceased to go anywhere after that. Um, and so that was, you know, both something we all, liked in the sense that it was kind of, you know, an interesting twist on the usual kind of, you know, fame and success narrative of, you know, you're working your way up, you have your various breaks, and then you break through or whatever. But the idea that, you know, as you had mentioned, like the idea of the, you know, story that we hadn't seen of imagining Henry's, you know, satisfaction when he kind of gets this big ad campaign, he buys his car. I forget, do you, Adam, do you remember what that car was? You had like a sort of beat up BMW <laughs> or some nonsense like that. But, you yeah. know, imagining that, the <laughs> idea of that point in his career where he was just like, this is it. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, moving up to the middle of the ladder or whatever he's doing. Um and so, you know, that was something that, you know, we were very interested in, in terms of the idea of that, you know, traditional kind of success narrative, just kind of being cut off in a way that you yeah. weren't expecting and wondering what to do, especially because it meant that, you know, in the place where he was in his life and in his career and kind of, you know, there's kind of, you know, a 20 something kind of vibe to those struggle <laughs> years that once you kind of get beyond that, it you know, acquires a different color or something of that nature. And so that was kind of where we started with the idea of this character who has to come back to his catering job, which we feel like, mm. you know, was kind of not the thing that anybody wants to be doing. Um, and, you know, that, that was kind of 
I think, you know, when we talk about the kind of stasis and malaise of kind of this environment of, you know, the catering job of Party Down, that was kind of the animating, you know, character idea. And then, so, Adam, when they brought it to you, what were the things you wanted to know about this person? Like, what were the questions you were asking when you were trying to figure out who he was? What were the things that you were curious about? God, I don't remember at all. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if I even did ask any questions. I feel like I, I knew pretty well and understood pretty well this... The, at least the feelings of the of the character i feel like everyone in the cast connected pretty directly with these mm. characters in this is 2010 that we shot this i think we were all is that right or t- no i think no, it's 20 it aired in 29 2008 yeah we yeah, started yeah 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 we started fall 2008 we got canceled in 2010 yeah. um uh so like success was just a little beyond our grasp and we all had our faces pressed up against the glass of of uh showbiz and so we all pretty directly got it um and you know it's a it's a tough racket especially at that that point you know um when you're just sort of not quite there yet and everything is embarrassing and uh you kind of want to disappear uh you know like eight times a day when people (laughs) ask you certain questions and um yeah one thing i do remember from that scene pretty clearly is you know up to that point i certainly had never been the in the kind of the center of a tv show before just uh just in, in the sense that henry's the the person that all the yep. people sort of revolve around in a sense, like kind of, I'm sort of there reacting to all these hilarious, insane people. Um, but up to that point, I'd kind of just been playing like small parts. And so I, you get into the habit of trying to like put everything into these like single scenes you might have in something. And so I was leaning in a little hard and, <laughs> I remember Fred Savage was directing that episode and he gave me some really sage advice, which I remember him pulling me aside and just being like, listen, just, you can just relax. Just (laughs) all you have to do is sit here and listen to Casey and enjoy it. Mm. You, You have plenty of time to throw in all these different things you're feeling or thinking but for now, you're just, we're going to see a lot of you. So don't worry about it. He knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah. And knew exactly how to remedy it because he'd been at the center of a couple of TV shows, obviously. Um, and it was that scene. I think we shot that scene pretty, pretty, pretty soon after we started shooting the entire thing. Yeah, because I think that role, especially in comedies, but it happens in dramas too. Like when I think of, how the lead character really sets a tone for a show and how like they they sort of establish the baseline reality so like wherever that character is kind mm-hmm. of is like where the world is and like when i think of it i think of like and this is not just because you like reese witherspoon big little lies to me is like the definitive like mm-hmm. oh i know this world because of that and i mean mm-hmm. like you do it now with severance but like 
did you have a either of you like the sense of like what the tone of the show was going to be the grounded part not the part of like where the comedy is going to be but did you get a sense with these performances early on of like what is the world how heightened it is how grounded should i be how sad should i be in these moments and i think this scene is kind of where you're playing that out yeah i think you know when we were talking about it in you know in our early days or whatever you know we were and i think we've mentioned this many times you know kind of influenced by these kind of british you know sitcoms like the original office certainly among them contrary to a lot of the kind of you know stuff we were seeing back then here we're playing things very down very flat in a way we made up the word creolism to kind of refer to the comic realism that we were trying to go for, um, you know, which on the one hand, I, you know, we felt like would kind of ground it in a way that like would help us who were people mostly coming from drama and who we never felt like we were people who were, you know, born and bred for the kind of setup payoff kind of multicam joke mm-hmm. style or whatever. You know, we, we love comedy, but it was not something that we felt like, you know, we were going to be good at was that kind of, you know, just rapid fire sort of thing. Um, and so we, you know, we'd always wanted to kind of work in this more kind of, you know, I guess you call it like a little more kind of bittersweet kind of mode or whatever, and then just let the characters handle and the situations handle the comedy. Um, so that was kind of where we started. And that was kind of, you know, what we wanted to try and do. It's actually one of the reasons we ended up making our own kind of backyard pilot was just because when we were originally pitching the show, you know, everyone we pitched it to thought it was a, you know, great fun log line. But then, you know, when you pitch to say a network or something, their vision for what the show is, is something much more kind of snappy and kind Mm -hmm. of antic. Um, And so we, you know, we, we didn't want to be doing that. And we didn't think that that's what would be be good at. And so, you know, we ended up just kind of making this thing ourselves just to be able to say, this is kind of the tone and the vibe we're going for. Um, and, you know, I, it, you know, it barely worked, you know, um, it worked with it, but all it takes is one. So, yeah. You know. I also felt like with the backyard pilot and with this first episode, even you're watching the show sort of find its tone a little bit. Like, I feel like we, are more sure-footed uh, as a show from that point on. I mean, episode one's great and and everything, but I think it's it's often when you watch the first couple episodes of a show, you're seeing it sort of find its legs. And I think that after this episode, we find our legs. Yeah, we look down and we saw them. I mean, I think it's, you can even see it a little bit in this scene where your character has a joke that I can't imagine him saying later in the show, which is, you know, like you forgot my name. Like, I can't believe you can't remember my name. It's Scrotum Phillips, which yeah. is like a little bit more to Bill Murray for like who the character is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's a line reading and this is really granular, but there's a line reading that, that happens where Casey's like, Oh yeah, I thought I remember you. What are you doing here? And then you go, well, do you remember you from anything else? And the way mm. you do that is like, that's the show. If you get that wrong, don't tell <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was from a lived place, I think, <laughs> of like, yeah, I'm, I'm nothing. Like, you know, I think, again, that's what we were all feeling at the time. Well, it's, were you getting that for like Boy Meets World at that time? Like, you what know, was the- 
Not really. I the Boy Meets World thing didn't start until a few years later when all those kids that yeah, grew yeah. up with Boy Meets World were like twenty somethings. I think that's when that started. No, I wasn't getting it for for anything. Yeah, uh, and having to explain myself wherever I went was <laughs> the worst. I mean, I think you know when we were getting this up and running, I. You know, Adam, I think it was it's Step Brothers, which was the thing that we knew you from just in That's terms right. of doing a comedy performance, you know, which is, you know, a very funny comedy performance, but very different. Um, so, you know, it was actually we worried about Henry, the character more than anybody else, just because I think, you know, he he's almost like an inside out protagonist in the sense that he he's not striving for anything. He's not on his way to anything. He's the opposite. He's kind of in a place, you know, he's, he's static and he's kind of doesn't know what to do and doesn't know what he's doing or what he wants to do or all these. So, you know, he's got all these like, you know, I'm sure for an actor frustratingly, you know, lack of motive or anything like that, that, you know, give you something to actually sort of always be digging into. So I felt like it was, you know, it was the hardest role of the whole cast just because you don't have, you know, when you compare it to like, you know, all our other characters who all very much have kind of their own, like, you know, delusions or ambitions mm -hmm. or whatever they have that give them just an easy handle to kind of know who they are and what they're doing. You know, Henry is just kind of, nowhere. <laughs> and so like we talked about that a lot of like are we setting ourselves up for a problem by having this main character who's in such a airless place. Um and so I think we got very fortunate obviously that you know Adam was able to really find the humanity and the compelling, you know, sides of that situation um in a way that, you know, allowed it to work because you know we were definitely kind of worried that we had created a main character who was just kind of <laughs> there <laughs> you mentioned the bmw which is his character's introduction is driving an old bmw like were there other sort of physical manifestations of like how we can like that i mean there's that he didn't he doesn't have a haircut is something i noticed that's like his hair definitely <laughs> does not look like it's been cut for a while were there things that you're like how can we just sort of build out who this person is to give us a sense of this person had a peak we're not going to know what it looked like but we're going to get a sense that this is a person not at that point I think the car was about as far as we ever yeah. imagined it because we wanted to be kind of pure about our setup. We didn't want to ever see these people's lives outside of, you know, what we're seeing on screen and, you know, the parties where they're working and everything. So I think even just seeing, you know, Adam's car, which is, you know, not something he takes in to work with him or anything like that was kind of, you know, the boldest move we ever made in that regard. Yeah. You know, I, I think we toyed in various iterations here and there with, you know, oh, do we, do we see his apartment? Do we see, you know, I think he even refers to that at some point where he has a view of like a, a Taco, Taco Bell. Bell or something That's like right. that. But I think, you know, we were pretty sparse with those details just because we wanted to stay, you know, mm. you know, it was Rob Thomas's idea originally, this log line of just like cater waiters, every episode is a different party. And so we, we really loved that idea. And we loved the fact that it meant that you never had to be anywhere else so you know whenever when we were shooting it it was just you moved into a location and you were there for a, four days and then you moved to the next one next week um and so it had a nice kind of purity to it that we didn't want to mess with yeah that's something i always loved about the show too is uh the simplicity of that but also the inherent sort of mystery of it like you never see these people 
at home other than Henry's car. And then in a, in a later episode, you see Henry and Casey in their civilian clothes walking from their <laughs> car to the party. Other than that, now that is yeah. one of the things that we were all a little like c- curious and worried about if there was a party down movie, like do we see their houses or their homes or whatever? Do we want to see that stuff or is yeah. that, you know, so. yeah. I think in a way that's one of the things that made it hard for us to actually actualize something like that was that we had committed so hard to this episodic structure that trying to figure out another way to tell a story with these characters was really just yeah. messing us up. It almost felt like you had to kind of flip it so that you were making the kind of background stuff, the main story, and then the kind of you know nonsense that is a majority of the episode suddenly becomes the background or something like that. So yeah. it, it was a tough time. Um, so moving on. So we were talking a little bit about, you mentioned the stasis of this character and sort of what to do with it. And it felt like the breakthrough at a time that sort of was necessary was in the Sweet 16 party where um, Henry runs into Breck and Meyer's character, Michael, and Michael recognizes him for acting class, who's, and he's about to play Edgar Allan Poe. And immediately it's like, Henry, you should play Lincoln in this movie. And over the course of that conversation, you see a different person, a person we had not seen in this entire series. You're Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah, a graphic novel. It's the writer, but he's killing vampires. Is Leonard's next movie? Wow. You're Edgar Allan Poe. Fucking up vampires in old Baltimore. Wow. That, that's great, man. That's, that's great. What about you? Last time I saw you, you were doing good. You were uh, doing those, those commercials with the, uh, are we having fun yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that actually kind of killed my career, so. Shit. Yeah. That freaks me out. I mean, this guy, all the talent in the world is tending bar? I should talk to Leonard. No, Michael, no. Yeah. Really, I, I I actually read for him once, and I, I think that was enough. No, I, I'm done. The, the towel has been thrown. I am, Henry, I'm... Leonard and I are tight. Okay, he listens to me. You would be perfect for young Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, when he was a congressman, he meets Poe, helps him steal his amulet from the Smithsonian. Now, it sounds dumb, but it's a great role. All you need is one great roll, and boom, you're back. Yeah? Okay? Yeah, it does sound kind of great. Shit, I mean, yeah, I'm telling you, me playing Edgar Allan Poe, you tending bar, it's like, oh! Yeah. The universe is crazy, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk about where the show was, where this character was, knowing you needed something like this, and sort of how this came to all in terms of, like, both on sort of a performance stance, but also, like, when you're scripting the series. I mean, you know... One of the things that we always imagined about, you know, just Henry as a character was that, you know, he was in the place he was, you know, the only thing he could really point to was that he had perhaps made a bad decision taking the beer ad Hmm. Um, that, you know, it seemed like a good move at the time, you know, it got him his nice car and, you know, it provided him with this idea that he was moving forward, but at the end it was not a good decision. Um, But otherwise, you know, we, we wanted to imagine that this was a guy who was a talented guy, everything he needed to actually make it work and to get there, but it just never quite happened. Um, and that that was what he was wrestling with. It wasn't just having him having to be like, well, I guess I'm, you know, not any good at it or I'm, you know, anything mm-hmm. like that. So this was kind of, you know, the first moment, you know, where we kind of 
get a sense of this idea that, you know, other people, you know, the Breckenmeyer's character is like, oh, you know, this guy was like, he was the Pacino of our acting class and all this sort of stuff that, you know, people knew him as being like a talented guy that you're surprised to see mm-hmm. tending the bar while you're doing big movies or what have you, um, you know, which definitely kind of goes back to that, you know, moment I was, you know, you're out and about and then you run into your friend who's, you know, you're at the party, they're catering the party and, that's a very Hollywood moment or what have you. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that was a thread that we always wanted to keep playing with was that it was kind of a part of Henry's frustration is the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't a lack of trying or a lack of, you know, him doing the work or him having what he needed to have to pull it off. It was just the condition that he <laughs> ended up in. Adam, do you remember that scene and specifically playing the sort of, part of you that has to like un unearth the part of you that gets excited about roles like that where it's yeah i i remember that and and also one of the things i really loved about that episode is it sort of veered into this lane that you don't really see often in shows and movies and stuff which is that the idea that you quit something and it might, it's something that's, that I find unique to show business and acting, but I'm sure it's not. But when people say like, oh, I didn't want to be on that show anyway, or I didn't want to be yeah. in that, I didn't want that role anyway. That's stupid. Um, and in Henry's case, I quit. You know what? Fuck it. I'm, I, they don't want me. I don't want them. Forget it. And then if someone actually approaches him and says, hey, do you want to play Abraham Lincoln in this ridiculous movie? And of course he wants to. And so it's this extra layer of humiliation that John really kind of layered in there that we get to peel back and see Henry at first say, no, I've quit. And then just pushed ever so slightly. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. And then pushed a little more. He'll go talk to the producer, pushed a little more. He'll perform <laughs> the most humiliating five words of his life, or however many it is, for the producer's daughter, and then get left behind uh, even more humiliated than he was before. <laughs> yeah, that moment, it's, you know, especially rewatching the series in a row, you, it's like he's kind of this one level. And then that moment where Brecken is selling you on this. Um, Edgar Allan Poe movie and then your character goes yeah it does sound kind of great and you're yeah. like <laughs> it like fully I betrays know. I know <laughs> but I think there's also just this sense that if the sensible version of do the work have the talent achieve the success if that doesn't work does that mean you have to avail yourself of these other way you know the sort of oh I just had a you know, random connection that landed me the role of young Lincoln in the <laughs> Edgar Allan Pope movie or whatever. You know, I, I think that's, you know, something we wanted to be able to play those little nuances of Henry's up and down, you know, mm-hmm. experience of kind of holding out, you know, he always holds out this little buried shred of hope. Um, yeah. But, you know, it never quite comes together or whatever, but it's always there because it's not that he's turned his back on it. It's not that he's burned out on it. It's just that it hasn't happened. And then it's funny. I remember 
thinking this sounded like the most ridiculous movie that John had come up with. And then just like three years later, there was this action movie about young Abraham Lincoln battling vampires. Yeah. Now we're, we're on a good streak. We had the fungus movie too, I believe. That's right. <laughs> but it does reflect that like, you know, I think and it especially works for Adam because you can tend to be a, an, an internal performance where it's like, what is this person's motivation? Where is, and you're like, oh, it's not striving the same way. It's just like, maintaining this sort of like pilot light almost quality to him where it's yeah. like you're you just see this oven and a little in the backwards that flame and then you and you have to let that cheat through otherwise the audience would be like this guy truly is too much of a nothing yeah is that how you thought of it yeah because it it comes into play later in the in the series as well that um that there is this this like you said this pilot light of of ambition and of uh, of sort of artistic wants and needs that yeah. uh, that are, are are still there. It, he just can't bear to live through the humiliation and uh, and embarrassment of it again. He can't bear to. He doesn't want to put himself in a position of being set up again. Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about. So season two, especially at the beginning, you're now the manager. And and there's an interesting scene at the beginning of the second episode where Ron causes trouble and then excuses himself as a way of trying to teach you how to be a boss. And then you yell at him in a way that is quite cruel. Can I see you outside for a second? Sure. What's up, Ron? See what I just did? What? I'm modeling managerial behavior. I remove the actor from the audience, Henry, okay? See, when people are acting up, you deprive them of the oxygen that fuels the fire. Yeah, but Ron, you were the actor in this scenario, so I... Okay. Take my advice or don't. Put out the tip jar or don't. Your call, Henry. Okay. Really, I mean, but you're going to be killing yourself trying to be their friend. It's better that they respect you. Okay, let's see here. Um, hey, Ron. Those are some pretty vile pit stains you've got there. Why don't you put on a windbreaker from the van so the guests don't puke? Oh, and also, if you're fucking 20 minutes late again, don't bother showing up. Um, wait, something like that? And so I think th that early scene sort of shows a flip side of this character, which is where the, where the first scene you're like, I don't give a shit. The other is the person who like truly has resigned himself to a completely unremarkable life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe you're, I think in the second season, Adam, you're a producer, so I imagine that involved being more involved with sort of thinking about who this character was going to be. Can you talk about the decision of presenting this part of this character? Because I do think that all that all comes into play was that we go throw forward in the series. But like in this moment, what did you want to kind of convey about Henry? Well, I think, you know, in at the end of season one, we'd, you know, we'd kind of been toying with kind of the nature of the, you know, the the what are we doing here kind of nature of the Henry Casey relationship. Um, and, you know, this sense that, you know, he was, cause I believe it was like in the high school reunion episode where we sort of get that sense that, you know, he's just considering like, you know, what if I just bail out of here? What if I just move back home and start mm -hmm. over, you know, move, yeah. you know, move into the guest room and just kind of start all over from a, you know, clean slate or whatever. And, you know, obviously that was, you know, we had this whole episode about Casey trying to sort of 
deal with her own feelings about how she felt about that and how awkward and uncomfortable she was in kind of, you know, putting her own point of view in front of him. Mm -hmm. Um, So that when, you know, he finally did kind of reject that idea, stay, you know, partly because of that. And then, you know, she kind of went off on cruise ship comedy tour or whatever. In our minds, that left Henry just kind of in this, you know, place where he just kind of had nothing. And so he was kind of just embracing just a chance to have, you know, a little more life than he had right now without, you know, any enthusiasm or anything, which I think, you know, we see in both him accepting this supervisor's job and kind of ending up in this relationship with uh, um, Kristen Bell's character and everything where he was clearly just kind of moving into a form of a life that he didn't have much enthusiasm for, but it was kind of better than what he had Mm -hmm. at the end of the first season. Um, So I think that was kind of just what we were interested in just trying out of seeing like, you know, the ultimate irony of the ideas that, you know, he achieves, you know, the kind of upwardly, you know, upward movement he couldn't get um, in his creative life, sort of in this catering life. Did you feel like, did you feel like he I wouldn't say happy, but did he feel better being turned like being more boring? Like, did it feel, you know, like not 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 performing, but I mean, like, did he, you know, like later in the the season, he's kind of alluded to as being a crockpot. Like, is there a certain <laughs> sort of like, oh, well, this is like at least there's a comfort in the I'm not trying to be a person anymore. I've like turned down the levels of my existence. Yeah, again, it's something, uh, another sort of avenue that I completely understood just as a freelance actor, you know, I, I, I remember in my 20s living in this studio apartment and just, you know, going from job to job and watching my brother and sister have their lives with their houses and their jobs and their families. And I was just sort of nowhere and uh and that looked really great just some solid ground under your feet and a thing to go to and a person to go to and a television and a and and a show that you both watch to get you know the whole thing was so attractive to henry and i felt he felt uh settled and 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 more like a uh a real person and however boring it might be even to him, even if he doesn't realize it, I think it's uh, precisely where where he felt he he needed to be. And I and w- when we were making it, I remember I'd never been on the second season of a TV show before. <laughs> so for me, I remember thinking like, "This is so fun! It feels like we're making a sequel to a movie." <laughs> like this is so great. Like I remember we we're like shooting in long that episode. Jackal Onassis were shooting in Long Beach oh, somewhere. And the Long everyone's Beach hair is a little different. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, we, it was the big time for us. We were like, <laughs> yeah, everyone's haircuts. Like, remember how Han Solo's vest was a little different in each movie? Mm-hmm. It was like, this is so great, you guys. We're all like in a sequel together and everyone's different. And then Casey shows up and she has bangs and it's weird between us because stuff has happened. It was so fun. Um and it was a uh, it was a great place to start the season. Talk about like somewhere to go. It was it was fantastic. 
I totally forgot that that was when Lizzie debuted her small banks that I feel like yeah. were, like, were famous. Totally. Um, I feel like this was a breakthrough in, for you creatively. Someone like you have a real gift on playing boring people or people who are <laughs> <laughs> that I think. Why, thank you, Jesse. No, it's a real <laughs> gift. Like it truly, because it's, you could play boring and not, but you're not ignorable, right? I think. In some ways, when you think of, like, the first season and then the beginning of the second season, it is like Severance. It's like recreating your Severance character. Right, right, right. What? Yes. How, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You know, because it's like the – I'm just at work, and there's sort of like an accept, a resigned acceptance, and then you're sort of out of work, and there's that sort of cynical, cynicism or whatever. What? How do you do it? Or, like – or even John, as you see it, how does he play boring in a way where you're not – where you actually would want to watch him do it? <laughs> I mean, I, that's entirely an Adam question. Like I said, this was, you know, this is what we worried about the most and what we felt like was, you know, you know, above and beyond all the sort of comedy that, you know, happened in the show. Just what you were describing is this ability to make kind of being this kind of, you know, character in stasis, interesting and compelling is like an incredible feat. How do you play boring? Well, I think that from the start all the way up through season three for me it never it was never like oh my god what do i play here Mm. i really connected with it and connected with john's writing i i really always do whenever he throws something out there i just immediately understand and get what's going on between the the lines of dialogue i i feel it and get it because i feel like he's writing with specificity and and from a place of uh of uh, of specificity so um so for me it's like it's more like henry's trying to be boring mm. and trying to keep down all of the things about him that aren't boring because he's those things haven't worked out very well for him. So he's just trying to keep the straight and narrow. Um, and then Casey shows up and it's like, well, shit, that's <laughs> a non-boring thing. And and then Ron shows up and it's like, well, God damn it. Now things are really going off, off the tracks. And, uh, and uh and so yeah i don't know i i i just feel like uh like the the character is is uh is just trying his best mm. to to lead a normal life and suppress his sort of creative impulses yeah i mean i think the the scene where you yell at ron is a scene of suppression then it coming out and then being almost like embarrassed and trying to play it off like is that how you saw it what did it feel like were you trying i mean like it it is a level that it's again it's a thing where you don't see the rest of the show a person has that part of him yeah i mean i think that ron and henry has it's a really unique relationship it really is um again all the way through season three they're two sort of people who really connect for whatever reason they fit together uh sort of like puzzle pieces and they couldn't be more different and in a way henry can't stand ron uh but in a way he 
wants to do nothing but help Ron and make sure he's okay. Yeah. And so I think in that moment in, in, in this episode that you're talking about is uh, some of that sort of brotherly connection mm-hmm. uh, coming out in a, in a sideways manner. Yeah. Um, so now we move on to the scene, the, the, Parted down scene, the scene of all. I feel like this is the definitive scene of the show, which is Steve Gutenberg's birthday party, and you're doing a reading of Roman script, and Casey challenges you to who can be better at acting. Now, my actors, prepare interior bridge. Action. Captain, I'm worried. Good, right off with the feelings. You caught me. What can I do? About our deuterium levels? Yeah, me too. About you, sir. Since when was worrying part of your programming? Coordinate set. Threat of binary star? You'll kill us all, Duke Clark. Or is that what you want since she died? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe I've... What are you doing here? I thought you were dead. I had to know if the coordinates worked. I had to know that you were safe. Well, if they do work, it's because you've saved us all. Now get back into that surgery tube. Uh, Her face is ruined. She's of no use. Duke Clark, no. Is that all she is to you? A face? What the fuck was that? Dude, I'm acting. Oh, awesome. Okay, I'm back in. Sir, chance of survival is .079. She risked all. So can we. Engage! Let's do it! Uh, sorry. The door was open. Is Travis... Yeah, go, kitchen! Okay, Warp 7 fires attacking on cannon. There's a space warp thing! Oh, no! We're clear. Thank you for saving my people. No! 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 Sir, a life reading. Oh, what do you know about life? I'm learning soon. What do you know about life? Save the galaxy. And scene. So I guess first, John, talk about conceiving of this scene as a sort of set piece. Um, well, it's funny because we'd always had this question of, you know, do we ever see or, you know, read or, you know, do we ever read what Roman writes? Do we mm. ever see what any of these people do? Or, you know, do we keep to the idea that, you know, we only you know, just see them working. Um, and we hear them talk about what they're doing, but that's all. And so we had had this idea where we had just sort of the cold open sort of little one or two page bit where like it opens with them kind of, you know, seeing that Roman has a script and they're just going to, they are kind of jokingly doing like a reading of it or whatever before he grabs it away from them. And that it would be kind of just a little comic throwaway bit. Um, But then as we were kind of working out kind of, you know, the Gutenberg episode was kind of, it was actually kind of difficult to actually write because it it was another one of those ones where you had this idea that was fun. And one of our guiding principles of these early seasons was, you know, we could only afford a certain number of of extras per season. Mm. Um, And so, you know, a premium was placed on coming up with party ideas that involved as few extras as possible so that we could like, you know, save them up for later. Um, 
And so, you know, we had come up with the Gutenberg idea of like they go to cater a party that they forgot to cancel them and no one's there was kind of on that little list of ideas was like ways you can have no extras. Um, And then, you know, Steve himself actually got, you know, involved accidentally relatively earlier just because, you know, he happened to email Rob Thomas at a time when we were trying to figure it out. He was like, oh, what if it's Steve Gutenberg? (laughs) Like, oh, how can that go wrong? Um, But then we actually had to write the episode or whatever. And so, you know, I, I liked the idea of them like workshopping this script that, you know, we'd get to sort of see some Roman, you know, Mm -hmm. Roman writing in action and everything. But it also, you know, if we, you know, the more we thought about it and the more we turning that into the kind of main story of the episode, you know, we thought that it also spoke to very much where kind of Henry and Casey were at that time in the sense that it gave us an opportunity for Henry to actually perform that we'd kind of get to both see him do it and have Casey see him doing it so that, you know, it kind of became this pivot point in their relationship where it kind of reignited things on multiple levels, just in the sense that she was able to kind of see that he was actually a good and insightful, enthusiastic actor. And, you know, also that he was willing to do it in the right, Mm -hmm. you know, when goaded in the right way or whatever. Um, So that it kind of represented this moment where she was kind of drawn back to him in a way that they had kind of let lie for a while or whatever. So that became kind of the centerpiece of the episode. And then the fact that, you know, figuring out what to do with Steve Gutenberg of what version (laughs) of Steve Gutenberg did we want to kind of invent and kind of present in the episode. We didn't want to play him as kind of sort of a secret villain or some sort of asshole or something and, you know, in in life, he is a very enthusiastic, kind of very open, nice guy and everything. Yeah. And so we love the idea of him just being like very romanticizing his early theater days and all this sort of stuff and being incredibly enthusiastic about this whole process. So it all kind of happened backwards, but, you know, it ended up working really well for, you know, the the Henry Casey of it all. Yeah. And the kind of eventual arc of the second season. Yeah. Adam, how do you approach a scene where it goes... And now Henry acts well. Time to do good acting. Yeah. It's it's really tricky. I think anytime something so subjective is presented in a fictional environment, I feel like it always goes wrong when you see fake stand-up in a movie or fake uh fake music yeah. in a movie and people are going crazy for it and it's like well, I don't, I don't know. Does that the then the audience enthusiasm always seems fake? Fake stand up, the laughs always feel fake. The stand up doesn't see. This, you know, it's it's yeah. really hard. So from the outset, it felt like a tricky thing. Like we're going to show that Henry's a good actor. <laughs> like, how do we do that? Um, but I think John really kind of threaded the needle because it's in the context of Roman's ridiculous sci-fi script. Mm -hmm. And we're injecting emotion into that world within the world of the show. And that world, the sci-fi script world is in and of itself ridiculous and fun and funny. And then you see some genuine emotion here or there between Casey and also Henry it's a chance for them to reconnect. It's a chance for her to see something in him. Sure, in that context, you can play w- with all kinds of ideas as long as we're in the the world of Roman script, which gives us the freedom yeah. to 
to show one thing or the other. I think also we wanted to show she needed to kind of break the seal of that idea by seeing Henry in uh, a movie, right? She walks yeah. in and sees, and we were going to shoot a, a scene, a, a fake scene from an early, like indie Henry was yeah, in. Yeah. And I think it was important to all of us that we, we do that. And we did shoot that, but I think we also dug up an old indie. I was actually in like 10 years earlier. So that also could provide a little authenticity to the idea. And I think the two things ended up uh, working well together, but I think it starts with the context that, that it's originally put in, in the script, because if it was like, you know, Henry doing a monologue in a play and that's how she's, it wouldn't like, like it's always a thing that punctures dead poet society for me as Robert Sean Leonard in the, in the play at the end, it, it doesn't feel authentic that that's that they're able to see that he's a good actor there. There's something about it that just rings false. I don't yeah. know why, but it just is a really hard needle to thread. And 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 I feel like uh, John and uh, and the guys were able to do it. The thing that is so amazing, you can watch it over and over again. It's like the amount of good acting, essentially the amount of in the character you are has to be modulated. And, you know, you are acting so there's sort of these sort of layers of like you are playing this person this person's playing this person then the person also yeah. comes in and out of it right there's you slap um you slap what's his face uh kyle kyle and then he goes what the hell and then so you have to go back in and go, is that is yeah, that like in i'm script? acting <laughs> how do you approach that like how deliberate are you when you're scripting that in terms of like okay well it's this and this how deliberate are you when you're like blocking out that scene like how, how do you approach a thing like that because it really is it, if you're coming out the gate trying too hard, then the audience will be like, "You think this is acting? You have it has to yeah, sort of be exactly. building." So, how deliberate were both of you in terms of sort of like thinking about the sort of modulations of that scene? The performance wouldn't have worked at all without the first run through, I think, which sort of established that, you know, everyone's Mm. kind of skeptical. They're playing it in this kind of stiff, cartoony kind of way. Everyone's kind of rolling their eyes at kind of, you know, you know. Uh, Martin and Christopher are kind of off there nodding as they're, you know, you know, yeah. thinking about how their words are coming across and all this sort of stuff. So I think, you know, playing that straight for laughs and playing it as this is not the best mm-hmm. sci-fi writing we've seen, um, you know, is key both to, you know, A – getting everyone into the spirit of, you know, this whole endeavor, you know, cause we shot these scenes one after the other. Yeah. Um, and so, once you get into the version where, you know, you're both rooting for the idea that, you know, they've fixed up the script, they've done a good job. Yes. And then this go around when people are more kind of, you know, engaged in what they're doing. There's this little something going on with Henry and Casey where she's kind of challenged him, you know, she's like going to yeah. act his ass off or something of that nature. So that, you know, everything I think then came into that second performance, which we kind of shot as... I forget how many times we did it, but we definitely tried to keep it just kind of as loose and kind of, you know, you know, open, open as we could. Um, you know, I think it's that combination that made it kind of actually yeah. kind of work because, you know, you, you get that sense that there's all these different things going on and you're kind of hoping for these various outcomes for ev- all these different characters, including for Henry and Casey. 
Yeah. Adam, how did you approach? I mean, like, are you a person where like, I'm going to do it different ways each time and then they'll sort of figure out how to get the modulations? Did you have a sort of read on it? I I mean, I tend to try and do things, vary things just so that we have options later uh, when they're cutting the episode together. But I think with this, I mean, this was a script where, you know, because of budget and time and because John had to be on set all the time, all the scripts were finished before we started shooting the season. Right. So we got 10 scripts and they're all terrific. Now, if, by the way, just like a sidebar looking back for such a small show with a, a tight budget, it's crazy that we made 10 episodes yeah, per no, season. Unbelievable. Like that's a lot these days. Back then, I remember, you know, it was, it was like a, a short season, but we made 20 episodes of this show in a short amount of time. Um, but uh, but it, we got all the episodes and they're terrific. And Gutenberg was right in the middle. And it was like, this is perfect. This is a perfect uh, script. And we can only fuck it up from here. So <laughs> we have to. Uh, make this work and uh, and it was straightforward as far as I remember it was just straightforward like let's just play this exactly how it's just obvious the way this needs yeah. to go because it was crystal clear on the page and that's why it was so great so let's just do that and uh, and it was just so fun I remember that house and like it was a it was a really really fun week Four days. It was a fun four days. <laughs> um, as we go into the next scene, what does Henry feel doing that? Sort of what, you know, that kind of then pushes you through the end of the season or whatever, which is something happens both to him and Casey, but obviously something must happen to him. What do you think unleashes or whatever? What comes out of it? I mean, it, it, it is a different side of even than the Brecken scene, which is like him as a yeah. careerist. This is like him remembering he yeah. likes acting, right? So what does that put him on? Well, I think it's exciting because... Yeah they they have this 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 passionate acting moment he has this passionate acting moment in this ridiculous thing but it doesn't matter he's with his friends um and and Casey is there uh egging him on and they have this connection so i think it sort of reawakens something mm. in henry to maybe not be so afraid of this thing and maybe not have this antagonistic relationship with it. Maybe, maybe, um, because he sort of let go of all of that for a moment and had an incredible moment, uh, uh, with acting and artistically or whatever, and with her. And so I think those two things are quickly, they, uh, it's clear that those are the, the two sort of most important things to him. Yeah. We'll be right back with more Adam Scott and John Ambaum. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
We're back with Adam Scott and John Ambaum. So then it sort of builds to in the season finale, you know, Casey gets cut out of a Judd Apatow movie. Hey, there you are. You just missed Karma Rocket, which is to say you missed some powerful Aryan energy. You all right? Uh, they cut my seat. What? What, the, the Apatow? My manager just called and said that they cut my seat and that I'm not in the movie anymore. I'm so sorry. Big fucking break. I'm not even fucking in it. I don't, I mean, what is the point? Don't say that. Okay, that's, that's ridiculous. How is that ridiculous, Henry? You think that that's sensible? You don't even think that no, that's ridiculous? No, that's, that's not true. Listen, I'm so sorry, but, you know, you, you, see, you can't talk like that. You, you have so much talent, and you've worked yeah. so hard. Just keep chasing the dream. Yeah. Right? That's not ridiculous. Yeah. And just keep trying, because yeah. I'm going to make it. Yes, right? yes. You are going to make it. That's crazy. No, it's not. Henry, you're it's not. lying. No, I'm not. Yes, you no, are. No, I'm not. Casey? Casey. I'm, I'm just trying to I know to help what you're me. trying to do. Yeah. I know that you're trying to help me. But maybe if we were the same kind of crazy, but we're not. Because if you're not crazy enough to believe it for you, how are you going to believe it for me? You know, starting with John, how did you think of that scene? You know, it's a, you know, how did that sort of come together? You know, like, obviously you didn't know where the show was going, right. but like... Well, it was, I mean, it was actually kind of baked in, you know, it was built into their relationship from the very beginning. Because I, you know, I think we we very much wanted to avoid, you know, what we were kind of used to at the time of the idea of like, you know, you're two kind of, you know, your two cute leads meet each other and the whole show is about them, you know, will they or won't they? And they kind of flirt with each other and have, you know chemistry or some frisson of whatever <laughs> um and that you just tease that forever or whatever and we what kind of wanted to do the exact opposite of have them kind of hit it off right away but then the obstacle is just this idea that they're you know they're just kind of on other sides of this kind of divide in the sense that you know Casey is still very driven and ambitious and kind of determined to make this work and it's kind of the sole focus of her life and you know Henry's on the other side um, where, you know, he's, he's been there, but now he's somewhere else. And, you know, we always referred to it as just kind of this, you know, idea that there's kind of a hope gap between them that, you know, they, they do see the world just kind of in a different way. And that, that, you know, you see it at the end of the first season where like, you know, despite, you know, where their relationship has gone, she zooms off, you know, kind of with kind of a shrug and an apology you know, when an opportunity presents itself and that you then get to this place where Henry's been through all he's been through so that, you know, when she has her first big stumble, I guess, when she had, she could see it, she could see that, you know, this next big step was coming for her and then it gets taken away that, you know, I I think for her, it was this idea that, you know, this was the kind of, you know, this is the wall between them is the idea that, Mm. you know, Henry had already kind of, you know, kind of processed this. And for her, she was still, you know, almost solely driven by this. So that it was like this part of their relationship that kind of prevented it from going any further. And, you know, we kind of see where that goes at the very end of the second season, just in how that resonates with Henry, with him kind of 
actually taking a deep breath and kind of going back into the audition room or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was kind of, that was our notion of, you know, kind of having this relationship that could never quite get out of the show that it was trapped in or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, Adam, how did you approach a scene like that where in some ways your character does not, can't learn all these lessons right there. You're just sort of in the moment being wrong, right? Like I think it, it you, you know, but maybe something's happening internally, but what you're saying is not sort of all of this stuff. How did you sort of approach it? Well, I think at that point, Henry is is just wants Casey, uh, he's in love with her. He's, I think that's for me, for, for, for me, Adam, the actor kind of thinking about it. My thing was always, he's in love with Casey. He loves her and he just, uh, will navigate everything according to that. And so he wants, uh, his life to be with her. And so, um, when this thing isn't working out for her, uh, it's almost like way deep down inside. It's almost like, well, yeah, that's how this <laughs> works. This doesn't yeah. work out. So now we can just be together and be, you know, people who don't, uh, who aren't really involved in, in show business because it's a heartbreaker. Um, so he's, he's kind of, you know, a little a bit selfish in that, in that moment, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because it's 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 especially when you watch the first season, you could tell that he lost acting and his new motivation in life is loving Casey. And that's sort yes. of and but she does not it seems like she thinks what is happening is he's like falling back into maybe acting. Like there's sort of like you're yeah. have parallel relationships that you don't realize and sort of it gets to this moment where it's like, oh, like in some ways you've been this whole time representing this sort of like jedis versus sith or whatever like (laughs) (laughs) well i think she very much wants you know them to be on the same journey and i think this is one of the things that we you know always animated us about the show in general was just kind of wrestling with this idea of you know there's the the cliche of never give up on your dreams and you know just do the work and try and try and try and you know sacrifice and this and that you know the kind of fame arc you know or something of that nature um and, you know, I think Casey is kind of still in that throughout, you know, the first couple seasons of the show. And I think it's, you know, the difference between them is at the end of the day, she's, you know, she is willing to make every sacrifice. And that kind of includes, you know, having a different attitude towards the relationship with Henry that, you know, it's it's something that happens in the present as opposed to being that's a part of a vision of her life because mm-hmm. of the fact that they're on these different trajectories and have this different attitude towards this whole, you know, do every, you know, just never stop believing or whatever. Um, and, you know, for, for better, for worse in her mind, you know, Henry has stopped believing, which kind of <laughs> alters, you know, the, the idea of what kind of relationship they can have. And I think at the end of that episode, at the end of season two, you see Henry, you know, kind of dipping his toe back in and, you know, you have to wonder if that's because he, he wants to do this for him or if he's doing it uh, to show, 
you know, for reasons of, of uh, the relationship of, of Casey, of thinking that might be a road to, to having her, you know, be a part of his life. When you did the reunion, there was this, you know, we talked about first casting Lizzie and you <laughs> sort of this phone call you had where she thought you hated her and you thought the conversation went great and that you would have good chemistry together, which is as a person who doesn't act and <laughs> who are you you're saying to me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> I'm and you I only saw the show and like these people have really good chemistry together. What how what did you see like you were correct? <laughs> What is it? What is a thing that happens that you that you see as a sort of acting that like when we are acting, this thing will sort of be what it became? Because it really does. I mean, it's just, you know, there really is a certain palpable relationship that you all have. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. And, and, and I often think it's it's overrated as far as a factor in mm. movies and TV shows. And, and often when people say. When I hear people say like, "Oh, th- their chemistry was terrible," I, I, I'm like, "You have, you don't know that the chemistry, <laughs> the chemistry was terrible. You, you don't know what you're talking about, and their chemistry is fine. The movie sucks, <laughs> or you know, whatever it is. It's, and, and sometimes two people uh, have zero uh, personal chemistry, and on screen they're great." Uh, and sometimes the opposite, whatever. It, it, I think it's a, it's it's again, it's a, it's an overrated uh, factor, and sometimes has nothing to do with anything. But um, uh, uh, putting all of that aside, yes, I, I feel like there was a a great um, chemistry between Lizzie and I, and between Casey and Henry, and. And that that phone call, I remember that phone call really well, and I remember <laughs> playing it really cool because I I felt like we weren't going to be able to get Lizzie to be on the show, but I really wanted her to be on the show, and so I needed to play it play it cool because she I saw her as like a younger, cooler person, <laughs> and I was asking her to come be on the show with a bunch of old people. So I needed to sort of, I don't know what I was doing, but I thought I, it, the conversation went great. She thought it went terribly and that I was an asshole. <laughs> I think is the gist of, yeah, 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 of what it was. You know, we were also, you know, we were kind of up against it at this time because, yeah, you know, right. she was cast very late in, you know, yeah. our, you know, like the week before we yeah, started shooting. Like right? I never actually met her in person until right. we started shooting. Um, and uh, me neither. But other um, than the call, I had never met her. Yeah. So th- this was all kind of you know it was a bit of a leap of faith in that sense, which you know I think paid off incredibly well. Um, but it was also a pretty crazy kind of chaotic process where I mean I I also had a phone conversation with her where. Rob had to actually do the talking because at this point in pre-production, I had like lost my voice just from doing running around and being tired and stuff. And so like Rob talked to her while I just kind of listened. And then every now and then (laughs) if there was something that I was just like, oh, we have to ask this question, I'd have to like write it down or something. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, But and, and, you know, you learned as much as you can learn from that sort of, you know, phone call and we're like, okay. I think Lizzie is a good place to start for the as we transition forward. So the show ends, many years pass. 
Um, you do the reunion of Vulture Festival, single-handedly reuniting the show and making it so there's a series I, I try to take credit for. Um, did When you got to the point where conceiving whatever this is, did it start with, is Lizzie coming back? What is the show with Lizzie or without Lizzie? Uh, it did not. We actually, like when we first, you know, Stars was like, yeah, you know, we this could be this could be interesting you know like they basically asked us to sort of deliver them a a season pitch or something like that so we all got together and we started talking about it when you around know, when was this oh gosh january 21 uh yeah that it was we maybe, started having our zooms yeah. yeah it was maybe like a year beforehand just because you know we before they did anything, we had to get them to actually approve doing the show. You know, yeah. they were interested and they were, you know, seriously interested. So we were like, all right, well, let's, you know, roll up our sleeves and do this. So we all um, got together and just started talking about it. And so when we first started talking about it, we did kind of have this idea for kind of a Henry Casey kind of, you know, they are reunited, all this sort of stuff happens and everything. Um and it was just after we had gotten that approved by stars that we found out like, oh, she's she's not available. <laughs> we kind of got to, you know, reconceive some things. So, you know, it affected some stuff, but, you know, not other, you know, the stuff that didn't involve, you know, we Casey or that we didn't have to completely rewrite episodes. We could still use the stuff we did for other people and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it definitely was like, you know, we had to kind of take a step back and, you know, rethink stuff. Yeah, I I just felt like the you know it was a huge bummer obviously for us and for Lizzie because she really wanted to to do it as well. It's just you know schedules uh, didn't uh, didn't work. The fact that we found six weeks where almost everybody could be together and make the show was a, a miracle in engineering and uh, scheduling anyway. But I feel like when that obstacle popped up, the way John sort of pivoted and uh, made her absence a part of the show was really terrific and really fit in perfectly with the party down kind of ethos and and (laughs) world. That's all I want to say. So, yeah, what were the conversations like about where Henry is now? To focus on that one, because obviously all the characters are a different place, but I feel like... I'll say this, like, I do feel like it almost felt like a very similar thing that you're able to do with the first episode of the series, which was like, somehow you've missed a whole full story from beginning to end. And now he's sort of at this new neutral. So how did you sort of land on where it was going to be? We landed on the idea that he was teaching just because we felt like, you know, he he was never somebody who was going to sort of abandon the ideas that had kind of propelled him into acting and that had kind of gotten him through that, you know, whole part of his life and everything. So the idea that he found a new a new life for himself that still included all this kind of stuff and gave him a new angle into it was kind of, I think, a pretty early idea that we had. And then, you know, in just keeping with the kind of party down uh, ethos, as it were, um, you know, we then had to just figure out, and how did that get messed up or whatever? So I don't feel like we had to reach too far and wide to kind of find something that felt, you know, because we, we even touched on this side of you know where henry was at in the in the pilot of the idea that you know he has that moment when he's talking to rico colantani who's kind of bemoaning the ordinariness of his life Mm. in his valley ranch home or whatever and henry's like "Mm, that doesn't seem so bad yeah 
you know? Yeah, that's right. And so this idea that this kind of desire for like a life as opposed to just kind of, you know, day by day chaos is, is, is something that, you know, we'd always, you know, I and I don't think it's like an outrageous notion that he longs for a form of stability of one sort or another. And so getting him to that place was something that we felt was already in the previous seasons. And then just figuring out the details was not that hard. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine you're spending your life being like, well, I wonder what my character is currently doing in the year, whatever you're doing. But like <laughs> when you're when you thought about it, you're like, yes, he got, you know, all of it sort of made sense. You know, there is a as we said, was we said in season two, like this is a character who does have the ability to just sort of like not go in autopilot, but it there is a like damp the ability to sort of dampen down the part of them that has dreams or whatever yeah. and just live yeah, it for sure. Does that make sense? Is that how you sort of saw it? Yeah, I mean, you know, trying to figure out like where would this character be, and it's been thirteen years since we stopped making the show. You know, where do you even start? So we had these zooms where the f- where the five of us would just talk for a couple hours, and and we did it like once a week for a few weeks, and we weren't like really getting down and and working out the. Th- we were just talking. Yeah. And it, I was I started really looking forward to these chats because uh, it was still you know January twenty one and still not it was kind of lockdownish at least in New York it was and I, I remember yeah. I had COVID for part of it. so it was a really great kind of thing to do on a Sunday is talk with <laughs> this group of friends for a couple of hours and uh, and and then after like four or five of these there's just this mountain of just you know, just stuff we all kind of vomited out and John took all of that and went away and, and, uh, and crafted a, a season of TV out of it. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, um, but as far as the, the, the character goes, uh, yeah, the, um, I, I think w- where it ended up, where John ultimately, uh, decided to land it made, made perfect sense. Um, and w- once he found that starting point for season three, it was easy to to kind of imagine the trajectory of the intervening 11 years or whatever it is to, to get to that place. It was it was a, a fairly straight line. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene in the, the first episode where Ron and Henry are catching up. And there's this moment where... Henry's sort of going through the party and he's just like doing that sort of zoned out Henry thing. And then Ron mentions why Casey isn't there because she she has a big success and your face changes and your sort of character changes. And then you do a kind of piloty thing of telling us exactly every single thing you've been up to, but we're watching you tell us exactly how you feel about your life when contrasted to the fact of what Casey's doing. How's things? Yeah, uh, you know, teaching's all right. The kids haven't seen the fucking beer ad. Uh, we just bought a house. And when I roll those trash cans out Thursday nights with the neighborhood dads, I feel like I finally made it. You know, <laughs> middle-class dream. Do you remember that scene? Do you remember, like, getting back to this character and try to, like, essentially having to, on your face, play 13 years of this person's life? Yeah, that was the first scene we shot. Uh, um, the first scene that I shot. You yeah. guys had been shooting... Uh, for a few hours, and then I got there and did that. Uh, uh, Ken and I had our first scene together. It was super fun. Um, yeah, I, I rem- it was only a year ago. I totally remember it, and it was uh, 
I just couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe we were doing it. Um, <laughs> it was so crazy. Uh, and Ken's stupid van and everything. Um, it was hilarious. Uh, yeah, it was great to be able to sort of harness the information, the sort of exposition that we needed to get out there, but putting it out there in a way, Henry feels like he has to share this with somebody because he also kind of can't believe where he's ended up and the manner in which he's ended up there. I think he's having similar feelings that I was having being on the party down set (laughs) in 2022. And he's at a party down party for Kyle getting a big movie and uh, also having uh, a moment. It's, um, it's interesting because you have to say everything positively and, but have the audience know you don't like anything you're saying. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Is that how you thought you were like, okay, I have to, I have to say the most depressing thing possible in a way that you can tell. Yeah. But I also don't think Henry is at the place quite yet where he's admitting to himself that it's depressing. He's like almost there. He's at the point where he needs to talk about it with someone, but he's still in it. He's still living that life. So he needs to almost share it in order to justify it and then continue on. Yeah. Were there certain things, was there a, an old BMW for the new version of Henry to get a symbol of what his life looks like now? We, uh, we did. We actually had a single meeting on this very subject. It was <laughs> like, you know, what, what is Henry's, what's the, and I think at the end of the day, we only see it for like, you know, half a second or whatever, but we had a whole discussion of just exactly what kind of, kind of middle of the road car Henry is tooling around in now that represents. When did we see the car? I don't even remember. Well, it's, that. it's barely, it barely ended up in the cut, but originally there was that whole thing of you driving up and kind of parking in front of the club and looking up. And so, oh, that's you know, right. and, that's right. uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I think, cause didn't you and Brian actually drive around in it at one point, you know, <laughs> that's I don't right. Think it ended Got up a in bunch there because yeah, all yeah, the yeah, episodes yeah. were way too long and everything. So, yeah, um, that's right. But yeah, we wanted to actually have that moment of like, because the first time we see Henry in the first episode is him driving up in, you know, the car that represents his backstory or whatever. So we're like, ooh, we'll do that again. That'll that'll be great. But then the car yeah. didn't stay in there <laughs> very much. Yeah. Um, but that was the idea, you know, because he has that one line where he does talk about like feeling that kind of little moment of like, well, you know, at least I've arrived somewhere, mm. you know, unlike in my past or something like that. So, we, mm-hmm. you know, basically we were trying to find like, you know, what is the version of that? A car that gets the job done, but is not a BMW. I kind of saw the sort of signal of where Henry's at in the wardrobe in that first episode of the like teacher gear, mm-hmm. you know, the corduroy jacket with the plaid shirt yeah. and the, khakis and the brown shoes yeah it looks like he came straight from from the high school where he's working yeah and that's that's what he showed up to the party and was even more jarring um tell me if i can ask this question but i think one of the more interesting things to show the contrast is henry finds himself in a different romantic relationship with someone and 
it has to be, I imagine, offers somewhat similar things to him as a character, but not the exact same relationship. And I think it's a good example of like when you're doing a show like this, you have to not just give people exactly the same thing, but you have to um, not be completely divorced from that. Can you think about coming up with a sort of relationship that would be true to who this character is now and sort of distinct and more mature in certain some ways, how you conceived of that relationship? I mean, I think, you know, when we were, one of the things we discarded immediately was the idea that we would just literally pick up 12 years later with everyone just there, Mm. you know, doing the job still 12 years later, nobody's moved on. Everything's just kind of is as it was, which we just worried would just be too dark. Like the idea that no, no single person had moved on anywhere in their lives and was still doing this job that they just never really wanted to be doing in the first place. So as often happens, as we had, had spoken about like, what, you know, what do we do with Henry in this, in these circumstances? where he has kind of moved on. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we, we started to think about this idea that the thing that kind of happens and, you know, without going into too great detail is that he is from a place where he's kind of settled, he's kind of tempted. Um, you know, we kept referring to it as like, you know, the last temptation of Henry of like, what would it take to sort of, you know, <laughs> get him to imagine kind of a kind of life that he had kind of long ago stopped imagining for himself. Mm. And so that was... You know, that's kind of how we originally kind of pitched it to stars was like, you know, this is our animating idea and, you know, this will be kind of the spine of the season or whatever. Um, And then we just kind of, you know, took it from there. Um, I was wondering about how you're different as an actor, you know, like. Adam, there there's a narrative of your career, which is like you're trying to make as a dramatic actor and then you get stepbrothers and that sort of like puts you on this sort of comedy path. And then after Parks, you're like, can I get into drama again? Can I find this place? And you do Big Little Lies and that gets you to Severance. And then you get nominated for Best Dramatic Actor at all. You know, like it truly is this thing. And I guess my question is, did doing comedy make you a better dramatic actor or reframe yourself as a dramatic actor. And then now coming back to doing a comedy, did doing dramatic work then change sort of how you think of yourself as a comedic actor? Interesting. Really good question. I think so. I think, um, I mean, party down really made me better in so many ways. Originally when we did the, the show, because I got so much time in in front of the camera to just like I was saying earlier about what Fred was telling me, just like relax and just to relax and know that there's time when you have sometimes doing a a much smaller role is harder because like I said, you have to stuff a bunch of stuff into one thing and you overthink it. And stepbrothers, uh, I had to really sort of figure that out. And I'd never really improvised before. And that set was all improvisation essentially. And so I've said before, it was like learning how to throw the javelin at the Olympics with (laughs) the stadium full of people and cameras and all of that. And I was just sort of learning on the job. And so then moving to party down and being surrounded by all these really skilled, hilarious people, um, navigating that and, it really just made me such a such a better actor and um and and I wouldn't have been able to uh 
find my way through Parks and Rec, certainly without yeah. uh, without Party Down and 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 so yeah, I think that uh, comedy w- makes certainly for me made me a way better actor um because one thing with comedy is you're always kind of looking for opportunities to find funny things in the crevices Mm. of of everything and so you're listening and watching everything and it just gets you in the moment and in the scene so much more when you've got all of your feelers out there trying to see where there might be opportunity uh, for you or anyone else or for the thing. And if the whole thing is working. Um, So, yeah, I think it did. Uh, And then veering back into dramatic stuff uh, for a few years. Yeah, I I guess it, I guess it, it did. uh, um, You know, I kind of approach it the same, whether Mm. it's comedy or drama, I kind of approach acting the the same way and uh so i i think comedy is something that's that's really enlightened and improved my work more than more than anything really the other thing you know as we talked about when you did the when you did the first season you related directly to this camera these characters coming out of a place where you felt you were not exactly where this character was but you felt similar things um you know, I think I read in the New York Times profile, like it was like kind of years away from when your wife was like, do you have a backup plan? Like you're sort of like in this space where now you're coming back. And that is not partly because of Party Down. You're sort of like we're on <laughs> you're not on that place. Um, You know, for both of you, do you relate to the show differently? Do you still have the part of you that relates to these characters in that way? I mean, I, I I definitely think, you know, all of us as being 12 years older and kind of, you know, at something of a remove from that particular moment in time, which I do think is a particular moment in time in the sense that, for instance, I, I forget how I was maybe, you know, the first time I like sold something that allowed me to say like, oh, I'm now making a living as a writer. You know, I think it happened when I was like 29, 30, somewhere in there. And Literally, my parents were coming down to visit and I had just had to move into this just like horrific hovel that I was just like, how am I going to explain myself to my parents when they see this? Um, So I had in a very Hollywood moment, I literally got the phone call that this Mm. script had sold while they were in the air on the airplane so that they showed up and they're like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, guess what? (laughs) so, um, So like, you know, the the vividness of that kind of moment versus kind of the, you know, 12 years on when you're, you know, you're in your forties or whatever. And I think this is even mentioned in, you know, one of the scripts or whatever, of just the idea that like becoming unmoored at that point in your life is just, it, it is a kind of a different feeling. It kind of, you know, presents different challenges or whatever. And so I think that's something, you know, again, because we're all 12 years older and we've all kind of had our version of, you know, those 12 years of experience or whatever, of just trying to like finding what those anxieties are to somebody 12 years on where you don't, where you aren't just betting everything on one particular thing. And it's more generally about like, what kind of life am I leading? What is my life from here on out going to be? And so that's kind of what we tried to find for Henry 
in this whole setup was the idea of like, how can we kind of keep Henry within the world, you know, the kind of thematic world of party down, knowing that that it would be kind of a false move to sort of suggest that he had enjoyed some sort of mm. surprise success out of nowhere or something like that, that then somehow goes wrong and lands it back. You know, I think just... The idea of kind of the scope and intensity of those sort of things just kind of shifted around in a way that we were talking, you know, for better, for worse about the kind of anxieties and ambitions of somebody who has kind of shifted and kind of unglamorized their, you know, hopes for their own lives. Adam? Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like those feelings never go away. Uh, I still feel exactly exactly the same as I did. I think when you're, for me, it was like 15 years or so of, 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 uh, really struggling and trying to, trying to, uh, get some traction at, in, uh, show business. And, and, and I think that's, that has stuck on me and in me far more than any kind of mm. success has. I mean, I was just shooting the the show last night feeling like, what the hell am I doing here? Like I'm terrible. Um, I, I have, you know, going to be, uh, you know, there's that imposter syndrome thing. That's, that's, uh, that's prevalent, I think in, in show business, certainly. Um, so that's not difficult to, to remember, but I think also, uh, the way, you know, Henry has gotten older and, and physiologically you just handle things differently mm. and you feel differently about things. And I, and I really like the way, you know, that's handled in the writing as well. I feel like that's, that's really in these characters. They're all the same people, but they, they are different. Yeah. They're older and they handle and, and, uh, and deal with things, uh, uh, differently. Yeah. <laughs> final segment of the show it's called a laughing round it's like a lightning round but because it's comedy i call it the laughing round these are shorter <laughs> questions um do you have a favorite joke joke either of you favorite joke joke like a street joke oof all right this is the only one i know so i'll make it fast um that and counts. it involves the king of sweden and his assistant going moose hunting and they're out on the moors and they see something in the distance and he raises his gun and the figure in the distance waves his arm and says uh don't shoot i'm not a moose and he shoots and the man falls and his assistant turns to him and he said, oh, you know, why did you shoot him? He said he wasn't a moose. <laughs> and the king says, oh, I thought he said he was a moose. Yeah, I like that joke. That's the only That's joke, also joke one of my <laughs> favorite jokes, except it's with a guy that pops up with a fluorescent hat, fluorescent jacket and holding a flashlight going, I'm not a deer. <laughs> but yeah, I love that joke. Um Adam, people are very curious about your new red carpet dress philosophy. You showed up, was it to the Golden Globes? You wore like a bolo yeah. tie? It's just very, very exciting. Yeah, it, it it actually, it's not a bolo tie. It's a, uh, I don't know what they're called. I, it's sort of a uh, Cur- Colonel Sanders yeah, type Yeah, it's like an tie. old-timey. Yeah, yeah. I think a bolo tie is like a... Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Like a string yeah, yeah. sort of thing. I, that was... My idea, I wanted to wear that tie. I love those ties. And it reminds me of like T-Bone Burnett or something like that. I, I just wanted, I like, uh, I, I really love um, clothes and, and I love 
I'm, my stylist Alaria Urbanati is really smart and cool, and uh, and I like uh, figuring stuff out with her. And that was that was my idea, and I, I really liked it. But I I also saw a, a variety of opinions on on that particular time. <laughs> I'm for it. Um, do you have a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian, living or dead, that you're willing to share with the listeners? Um, I had a meeting with Steve Martin once and he, uh, he brought me, it was at his house. So he brought me a glass of water and it was half full. And he said, sorry, I didn't have time to fill this. (laughs) And I, I was just like, I'm never going to forget this. That's a fantastic (laughs) joke and I will never forget it. And I have not. Last one. Do you have any advice? For an aspiring anything, either of you, uh, practice as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's great advice. My advice is always just don't stop, don't leave. Just you know, I feel like my most powerful weapon was I never gave up you know i saw lots of people like from acting school move back home and stuff after a couple years and i just stuck around uh and make your own stuff you have an incredible camera everyone has an incredible camera in their pocket now you can you can make your own stuff great thank you thank you both so much i really appreciate it oh thank you thanks jesse that's it for another episode of good one if you enjoyed this conversation about three years ago i did a reunion with everyone involved in the show and you should check that out Party Down premieres on Stars on February 24th. Follow Adam Scott on social media at Mr. Adam Scott. Follow John on Twitter at Seriously J and Bob. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Gavin Mushikishin did our theme song. Rate our view and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Go to us production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We're here every other Tuesday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm-hmm. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.